Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about Church at the Well, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. And now, here's today's sermon from our pastor, Dane Carraway. Um, so, if you're visiting with us, um, or if you haven't been here in a while, we last week finished our series in the book of John. Uh, we talked about how Jesus is our one and only. We talked about how um, if, if he's our one and only, the way that we respond is by, you know, receiving the salvation from the one and only, since he's the only, the, the only one who could save us. And the way that we respond is by living to him, living for him. John, at the end of his book, said, it says, I wrote these things down so that you would follow the Christ. I wrote these things down so that you would believe it and your life would be different because of what Christ is done on the cross for you. And the fact that he not just died, but he raised from the grave for your sake and for mine. And that's why I wrote these things down. So we've, we've, uh, we've, we've done that in two weeks. So not, uh, not next week, but the week after, we're going to be starting in the book of Matthew. I'm sorry. Did I just say that twice? In two weeks, we're going to be going in the book of Matthew. We're going to be talking about how Jesus is the perfect bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament and the perfect bridge for us to the Father. That where there was no bridge, because there was a gap, because of our sin and our own depravity, there needs to be a bridge. There needs to be somebody who connects us from where we are to where we need to be. And Jesus is that bridge. So uh, come back in a couple of weeks and we're going to get that. So what are we doing between now and then? Well, today I want to talk to us all about the idea of fellowship. Um, here in our church, if you were here early on, I talked to you a lot through um, the uh, um, Acts chapter two. Now, if you are a a church plant, my good friend here, uh, Andy McNeely, he uh, pastor of Front, uh, Front Porch Church down in Baltimore, is joining us. Him and his boys um, this uh, this morning joined us. Um, we know this that like when you're new at church, you talk Acts chapter two to death. You know, you 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 run back to it, and people are like, "Are we? If I have to hear about them devoting themselves to the teaching and the prayers and the fellowship, like I, I get it, Dane. So we're, we're going to do it again because I need to share this with you so you understand where I'm going with this." And while we're not just jumping right into Matthew, um, let me read it for you. So Acts chapter 2, starting in uh, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of breads and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This is how the church started. So let me just give you, if you don't know where we're at. Um, so Jesus has um, died. He's resurrected from the grave. Peter has given the, the sermon on the day of Pentecost. And boom, church starts. You got all these believers, people they like they're convicted, they're like their their hearts are torn by this testimony of Peter that, you know, even though um you know people saw Jesus and they rejected Jesus and um he's saying like the way that you respond to this message in response to having sin in your life is by accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior at this point in time and this is how the church starts. So in this passage Peter is kind of describing the first moments of the church meeting together. He says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day who were being saved. So um, I, I've referred to this before, but I want to just kind of show you, like, I, I talked to the guys that are, are on our elders for our church about these five keys that kind of stick out to me that uh, 
if you look at it, these are what a church should have. Like, if you don't, if you don't, if you go to a church, if you're just visiting us, and this church doesn't have these five keys, or you can't find them somewhere in their DNA, you're probably not in a church. You're probably in like a, just a really good Christian place. It may have great, a lot of things. I'm not even going to go into the details. I don't want to accidentally describe your church. But like, if they don't have these five keys, you may not be in a church. It says, um, being devoted to teaching. If there's not a church that's not devoted to teaching God's word, this could be, I'm not saying that they're not devoted to teaching good things. It's really popular right now. Like if you, if you go on your social media sites or on YouTube, the, the catchy thing is to find somebody who has like a really good catchphrase or one like good zinger that they can make on a, on a reel on Instagram or something. But you got to be devoted to teaching. Somebody's got to teach something. Like, like more than anything else, this is what Jesus did. We could talk about Jesus the carpenter. We could talk about Jesus the miracle worker. We could talk about Jesus, the one who died on the cross. But he spent three years doing something more than anything else to these 12 disciples, teaching them. You got to be devoted to teaching. Um, it also has to be, it has to have fellowship, which we'll get back to here in a second. It talks about the sacrament. You know, like if you, if you have family that's part of a Catholic background, you understand this idea of sacrament. Even here, we, we make it a part of our, um, of our communion. But it's like doing things that rehearses the death and resurrection of Jesus, making times that you, you know, you do liturgical things that remind you of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. So things like baptism, things like, you know, the bread and the cup. These are also part of these things. It talks about the prayers. And this is like, you know, this is not just like, hey, um, y'all ain't a church unless y'all bless the food before the picnic. If I come to Memorial Day picnic day and, and you eat a piece of chicken before you pray, that's not being a good church. No, no, no. This, this, is, this is bigger than that. This, and you know, like one thing I love about our church already is we're a church that shares prayer requests. You stick around long enough, you're going to get something to pray for. I guarantee it. Someone's going to ask you to pray for something. And there's a big difference between saying like, I got you, I'll pray for you and then actually doing it. I've seen, I've been at Community Circle a couple times where someone's phone buzzed and it wasn't somebody calling, it wasn't a text message, it wasn't an ESPN update, that was probably my phone. It was a reminder to pray for something. We gotta have the prayers. And also talks about the generosity. This church was so crazy, and like it was at the beginning of their identity. They were saying, "Like, okay, it's the day of Pentecost, and um, all these people are here, and this church is booming, and there's a bunch of people who have received Christ, and they're not even ready to go home yet because something amazing has happened. Salvation has come to their lives, and they just want to be here and kind of figure out what this means. Who's going to provide for them? Well, now we have this thing in common, this salvation of Jesus. We we got stuff that we can sell so that we can have food for them because salvation has come to their home. Generosity. If, if a church isn't, if, if a church, the people isn't generous, you're probably not a church. You're probably just a, a bunch of people that get together and, and keep their resources to themselves. By the way, if the church, if the organization isn't generous, it's not a church. It's a great nonprofit organization that is, is raising, a lot of, raising a lot of donations. Can I tell you, like, full disclosure behind, like, behind the curtain about what happens in our church? When we, first, when we wrote our, um, our first budget for this year, I took it to all of our elders, 
And I was like, okay, here we go. I did it. And they're like, we're not giving enough away. Like, God's been good to us. We're not giving enough away. Where could God be sending us to the areas of need here in Baltimore and in around the world? They literally said, like, we need to give more away. And I'm like, but our church is about this big. How, how, much, can we, how, how much can we possibly give away? And they're like, this is, the area, this is the one area where God says, you could test me in this. You can test me in your giving. So you, you go to a church or you're attending a church this morning of elders who said, we have to be generous. Like not, so it's one thing when the people are being generous, but then when the organization turns around and, be, and, uh, and gets generous. If we ever get in trouble financially, we're probably got the point to the fact that we've, obe- we've obeyed God's uh, call for us to be generous. If we're not in and involved with what's happening around the city and how we can be, uh, use, uh, God can use us and our dollars to be involved of what's happening. We don't want to just be a church here in Towson or around Baltimore. We want to partner with folks like Front Porch Church and, 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 and some of the schools like uh, Sarah at the top. If God gives us the opportunity to do things, this is, a, this was, this is what birthed our, our backpack thing. We don't, you know, we're, we're, kinda, we're still kind of new and we're trying to find like, the, like our things. But can I tell you like how what started this and this is how God brought it together? Me and Honor were watching the news and, um, one uh, weekend, and we, they were reporting on Baltimore schools. And it was like this investigative study. It was bad when, when Lester Holtz and those people start co- commenting about your city, you know it's never good. And they were talking about how bad Baltimore was. And they're like using like all the words you don't want to describe the place where you live. They're like filthy, disgusting, and things. And they're talking about the city, and they're talking about how... Our um, Baltimore school started uh, two summers ago, right? Started two summers ago. Um, they started the school year in August with 75% of the schools inside the city limits without an air conditioning unit. Not one. Not one air conditioning unit. I'm talking like the window ones that are like $20 out, you know, at Walmart right now. 75%. And then, you know, so that, that just kind of like, you know, ticked out our hearts. And then um, uh, shortly after I met um, Andy and I met Sarah and I was just like, you know, we were, uh, Andy was telling me about some of the schools that were being built in the area and was talking about the, you know, the, um, the uh, economical divide uh, over York Road and you know, we're, 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 we're learning so much about our city. And we just asked God a question. We don't, you don't call the church to fix every problem but you have called us that we can send each other into areas of need. So what is something that we can do? And that is something that connects who we already are. Well, we're a church that has a bunch of teachers and we're a church that understands what education does and how it can encourage a young person. And we're a church where the pastor used to be a youth pastor. So what is it that we could do to have an impact here in our city? And something that we read is that 90% of students who have what they need at the beginning, who, uh, 90% of students who don't finish uh, the school year, they either drop out or they fail out. 90% of them all said that they didn't have everything that they needed when the school year started. That they just didn't have the supplies. They didn't have pencils, they didn't have papers, they didn't have what they needed. So what we did is, I'll be honest, it didn't take much praying. It just said like, well, that's something we can do. We could do a backpack drive. We talked to Andy, we talked to Sarah, he said, we could put together 50 backpacks. 
We could, we could put together 50 backpacks and we could just help 50 kids that, you know, don't have all their supplies start the school year where they, where they needed. And they, it doesn't have to have, they don't have to be church at the well backpacks. They don't have to have our little logo on it. We just want to see what God does with it. And that's not an ode to us because, by the way, this is stuff that folks were already doing. Front Porch Church was doing this way before we were. We just want to be a part of what God is doing. I, I think this is what it looks like to be a part of the church. I think it's what it looks like for us to, to be here and, and actually be valuable and not just to be another organization inside of a cool place like Towson. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? Um, what I want to do is, is, is focus. So those are like our five things. So what you'll hear throughout the year when we have times where maybe at the end of a series or, uh, or maybe um, we'll take a break in between if we have a really, really long one, I'm going to keep picking at some of these five different you know, uh, essentials that I think the church needs to have, that we need to have if we're going to be able to call ourselves a church, that we're not just playing church, you know? That we're not just like, just, we meet on Sundays and it's cool and the band plays and, you know, Dane comes up and says some scripture. We don't want to play church. We actually want to, we want to be a church. So if we're going to do that, these are the five essentials we need to have. I want to talk about fellowship. If you've been around church for a while, you grew up in church, this is the word that you kind of know what it is, but you probably know more about what it's not. Like, like in our church, fellowship was the name of the cafeteria. It was called the fellowship hall. And that's where the meals were. It's a school too. So that's where the cafeteria was. It was the fellowship hall. Like that's where everybody ate. Um, the dictionary defines fellowship as the friendly association, especially with people who shares one's interest, right? So like this is where people who have something in common get together. They sit over here and they have their little fellowship. Um, I love this quote or definition from John Piper. He says, fellowship is a mutual bond that Christians have with Christ that puts us in a deep, eternal relationship with one another. That because of our relationship with Christ, it puts you and I in a deep, eternal relationship with one another. Now, you be honest with you for a second. When we think about fellowship and we think about, you know, our history of folks that we spend time in church with, do we want to have a deep, eternal relationship with everybody? Probably, you know, maybe in your, your quietness apart, maybe not, maybe not so, maybe so. But what, what I love about this is that sometimes we don't think about eternity in an eternal way. That like, I'm, like we're going to exist outside of these circumstances, that one day when we leave this place, that we're going to be made perfect in the likeness of Christ. So, you know, if I'm, when I have, when I think about the relationships that I have, even, you know, with my wife, with my kids, with my friends, with the folks I go to church with, this exists longer than that. It exists longer than 2023 until, you know, whenever, whenever God calls us home. I love this because we have Christ in common and we have an internal bond with one another. I'd be willing to, to bet this is what Jesus had in mind when he prayed in John chapter 17. I know we finished John, but can I go back there for a second? Just for a quick second. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. Can I just stop for a second? Jesus is saying, as he's like ending his time on earth, he's looking at his disciples and 
He's saying, as you and I are one, as you and I are connected, the Trinity, right? May they be one. May the same connectedness that I experience, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may that be the church. Is that what we see on our televisions? Would you describe that as church? Martin Luther King had a great quote. He said that uh, uh, um, 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. Is that being one? I mean, in 2020, when all the churches were fighting about, like, how we view, pick something, pick a topic. Like, like, like when we approach ministry and things and we say, like, we have to have, we have to be aligned in every single one of these areas or else we can't cooperate together. I mean, I've had these conversations and, uh, where it's like, you know, I want to reach Baltimore. Oh, you want to reach Baltimore? Well, let's reach Baltimore. Well, do we have the same doctrine? No. Well, then we can't reach Baltimore together. This is what we do. Oh, there's a way to separate us? We'll, we'll do it. But as we think about what Jesus is saying, he's saying his prayer request for his disciples, but also looking down through future at you and I, is that we would be one. As him, the Holy Spirit, and the Father were one. He says, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you all see the connection that Jesus makes at the end? He says that, like, I, I and them, and you and them, like, like that, we would, that they would be perfectly one. And the reason for our oneness, the reason for our connection, is so that the world would recognize that we're connected to Jesus. How often do you hear about this in media? The problem isn't that the world, like sometimes you think it's like, oh, the world's just lost. So they're just going to be critical of Christians. They just hate Christians. They just hate the church. No, the problem is that we look crazy. And Jesus said this. He, he predicted this 2,000 years ago. When we look divided, when we are separated, when we have nothing to do with each other, when we can't agree, and we, like, we more preach about all the things that we hate rather than the things that we have in common, the world doesn't recognize that we're from the Father at all. They can't. Jesus said this would happen. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Towards the end of Jesus' time on earth, this is what he prays. He didn't pray for protection against persecution. You realize that, right? He didn't pray that God would send down angels that would like march in front of them every time they would go to a city to preach the gospel. Jesus didn't pray for resources. Jesus didn't pray like, hey, um, Jesus, uh, hey, Father, uh, give them amazing resources. Give them like millions of, of dollars so that they could build the kingdom here on earth. This isn't what's the heart of Jesus. His prayer is that we would be unified as one. Jesus said, as you and I are one, make them one. Um, I, I wanted this to be the backdrop for our message. And, and here's our question, or one of the questions this morning, I should say. What does it look like for you to go through a rough time? Like, if you were to paint the picture for me of what a rough day looks like, and I mean, like, and, and this is, it has to, like, kind of span the, the uh, you know, the, the spectrum. Like, I'm just talking, like, 
the first moment this morning, Dan, I stubbed my toe. And then like three hours later, I spilled coffee on my plants, you know, to like, to those things. Kids act up to like, you know, something tragic happened. Like somebody died. I lost my job. Like something happened. Like have you, like a singular event made you like get as low as possible, you know, in whatever way. Like I remember like this happened to me several times. Like when, when, um, um, when I lost my job, I was working for the Wizards and I lost my job. I remember going down um, at China Place Gallery, uh, uh, Gallery Place, Chinatown. I said, China Place. Gallery Place, Chinatown. Um, I got to the bottom of the metro and I just leaned up against the wall and sunk as low as I could and just cried. Looked, probably looked crazy. But again, when I had, when my father died in 2020, I was in the hospital, sunk as low as I could to the ground. What, like a singular event makes you posture, physical posture goes as, as, as close to the ground as possible. Have you had this happen? Like, like, what does it look like when those things occur? Um, how do you navigate through those situations? Unfortunately, in this church, too many people know exactly what that feels like. Um, we're, we're going through a season where we have been praising God for what he's done. He's, he's made us one. He's given us this great new birth of church. But we've also gone through our, our share of, uh, of trials already in the last couple of months. Amen. I got, I, 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 we have a great group of college students and I talk to almost all of them and they're they are stressed. They're going through it. We've got family members and, and, and coworkers and even students of, of the teachers in here who, who have lost their lives. And in the midst of us celebrating the great thing that God has done in making us one, I don't think it's by mistake that we've also have been sharing our share of, of trials during this time period. There's been sickness. There's been all types of things. What I've noticed in myself and in others is when life gets unbearable, sorry for the pun here, when life gets unbearable, we tend to hibernate. You can hate that if you want to. That's cool. Okay. It, it came to me. It came to me and I was like, this is too good not to put on the slide. It's too good, y'all. I'm sorry. When, when life gets unbearable, True, funny or funny, we tend to hibernate. We all kind of like, emotionally, when we go through a tough time, we're like, today was rough. I don't want to talk to nobody. Like, don't talk to me. Leave me alone. I need to be here in my, come out of my cave. Then I'll come out. Like, leave me alone. You could probably add a couple of expletives in front of that if you want to be honest. But like, life happens. It's hard. Leave me alone. Like, like, like that's, that's how we go through it. And let me, let me like, I, I just want to kind of speak through an assumption here. This is bigger than extrovert, introvert. I need you to hear me on this. This is like, like I can already hear, like, you know, hear it uh, in, your, in your mind's turning. Like, he's only speaking to extroverts. Like, no, this is for you too, that because of who you are in Christ and because of who you are as part of the, the global church, you can't handle things like that. You just can't. Maybe I'm jumping ahead. Of, I just want to share this with you. I've been reading through the book of Job recently. Somebody's like, Dane, why are you doing that to yourselves? I don't know. I, I, I guess I love God's word. But, um, you know, the, Job's friends, if you know the story of Job, it was this guy who had everything. And, uh, um, you know, God allows him to lose everything. 
And, you know, in the midst of this, like, kind of back and forth and Job kind of going through, like, extreme loss, Job has these friends that come to him. And if you actually read the story of Job, his friends start off doing great things. It was what they, you know, kind of steering him afterwards. They were saying, well, you need to confess sin. You must have messed up, Job. That's why you lost everything. Hey, Job, you, you just, you know, you don't believe in God enough. You just need to believe in God and God to restore everything. But you know what they did to start, which was really good? They just came and sat next to him. They just came and were willing to be there with him. Job is like ashes and torn cloaks and just like in, in despair. And it, the Bible just paints a picture of his friends just coming and sitting with him. When life gets unbearable, we, we, we can't hibernate. I've even done this a few times. This morning, I want to show you that in our most confusing times, we find our way through difficult situations, not just horizontally, but vertically. You guys ever heard these terms before? See, like, like, like in, in church and in worship culture, they have this idea that you pick your worship songs in two different ways. There's some songs we sing them this morning that like we sing songs like Jaira, when we like we point to God, the conversations between us and God, like God, you are enough. That's who you are, you are enough. That is my vertical worship. That's from my heart to yours, Jesus. That, that that's what be what it is. But then also we pick songs that encourage one another. Scripture tells us that one of the ways that we exist as a church is that we would sing uh, psalms of, of, and hymns of praise to encourage one another. That'll be one of the things that we do, that we sing our songs and that we encourage each other by, by, you know, by, by just speaking words of affirmation, by speaking God's uh, truths back to each other, that we would even sing songs, that there are songs written in the scripture that aren't to God. What about if we've sung a worship song that's not even to God, but to encourage people around, around us? That, like, that, that's the idea of, like, of not just worshiping vertically, but um, horizontally. God has already prov- uh, provided us with a compass not to fix our situation or to take it away, but to provide us help when we navigate through it. That's the whole kind of picture of our message this morning, is that we would all kind of have this compass. You guys know what a compass is? I'm, I'm very... Uh, not direction challenge. I'm really out, outdoorsy challenged, okay? You put me out amount some, some mountains and some, some rivers and things, I am fit to die, okay? There's this show um, that I just saw the other day. Uh, I think it's called like Surviving Alaska. It, you know that I'm down bad for money if you ever see me on this show because I cannot think of anything else I would rather not do than like just survive Alaska. I, I would just perish, it, would be a, it wouldn't even be a funny story. It'd be like, Dane was out in, uh, in Surviving Alaska at 10.01. He was dead by 10.14. You could laugh at that because I would just perish. It would just be bad. I'd probably, off of a berry, I'd probably be the wrong berry and it would be over. That's not the point. The point, <laughs> the point is this, that when we think about like the idea of a compass, on most compasses, if I'm not right, I think we even have one on the screen, that you have, um, it, it, the N stands for north. I'm doing good so far, right? Okay, north, the E is for, for what? For east. And then on the other side, it's cut off the screen because, you know, my wife is fancy. Um, the, uh, the, the, over here, it says west, and at the bottom, it says south. The idea is that you should be able to find where you want to go based off of using this compass to help you navigate through life. What I want to, like, put in front of you this morning is that for a lot of us, what we do when we go through tough times, when we, you know, have those moments of uh, discouragement, we find ourselves head down in our caves and we're just like, we're just going to wait this thing out. We're just going to sit here until it feels better and then we'll go approach all that life has for us. 
I want to show you that God's giving you a north and south relationship with him. That you are called to include him in that process. Oh, you're going through a hard time. The same God who allowed that hard time to happen. Oh, he wants to help you through it. Are you going to allow him to? And not only did that God provide, that, provide help from himself through the comfort and the work of the Holy Spirit, he's giving you east and west relationships as well. You have to be involved in the people around you, and God's put people in your lives. He's given you fellowship, people that you have Jesus in common, and their purpose in that time period. Maybe they're not counselors. Maybe they're not therapists. Maybe they don't know the right words to say. Maybe they don't even know the right meal to bring over to your house when you're going through a rough time. But guess what? God has placed them in your life, maybe just to sit next to you. Listen, I'm not good at a lot of things, but you know what I'm really good at? Sitting. I can sit with the best of them. Somebody like, you know, uh, uh, um, Jen had, a, uh, had someone pass away uh, recently. And, I, you know, she's like, Dan, can I come and hang out? I'm like, yeah, let's sit. We can sit and we can watch Iron Man together. The boys hadn't seen Iron Man at that point. I can sit with the best of them. And I think sometimes that's what God calls us to do. Are you willing to be present in the lives of people and be someone's compass or allow somebody else to be a compass for you? Um, when you look at, uh, um, when you, let, let's start by looking at the idea of north and south. Uh, I like to think of our ability and willingness to connect with God as, as vertical worship. It's how our recognition that we are below the Father and he, of course, is above us. My vertical worship is in recognition of that. It's when I'm willing to say that I, I have fixed myself properly, that I'm not the center of the universe, God is. And when I'm able to like point to him as, as the one that I, I, you know, where my direction is to, it puts me in the best position to be blessed by him. You know, it's like scripture tells us this. I remember when Jesus was talking uh, through the Beatitudes and he says, blessed are those that are poor in spirit, that they may be filled. When we get to the point where we are, like, we recognize that we are totally depraved, that we're in a rough situation and that we're nothing without God, it gives us the best opportunity to be blessed by God. When you realize that we're nothing without him, that, that, like, that, that we are, we're limited without um, the presence of Jesus in our lives. Psalms 55 uh, verse 22 says, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. This is one of these like scriptures that, it, it, man, it, it is a hard one to chew on. You ever read a passage like this in the midst of like a, a rough situation? You're like, so let me get this straight. What, what does this mean? Like, if I'm casting my burden on you, I should feel relieved. If I'm casting whatever is weighing me down, like what, 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 that doesn't immediately change my circumstance. I kind of like the Aladdin route to where if I got a problem or if I think of something that will make my life better, all I got to do is rub the lamp and Jeannie just makes it happen. Why, like, isn't that what this is saying? Like, like what are you talking about, David? Like, I, I've cast my burden on him. No, here's the point of this. God says, oh, you're suffering? Or you got something that's weighing you down? Yeah, express that back to me. T tell me, what you, tell me what, you, what you have going on. Because you don't have to hold on to this by yourself. I'm encouraging you to share this with me. And through this, yeah, I may not change your circumstance, 
but I will make it so that this doesn't crush you. I will make this so that you're able to sustain and, and see the next day. I bet you that everybody in here could give some type of testimony of how if, you, if I were to told you what you've been through in the last four years, at least one thing, and I told you beforehand, before those four years, eight years ago, that you would go through what you went through the last four years, you probably would have said, if I were to go through that, I probably, I probably wouldn't make it. I could not fathom making it. I don't know what life would look like. I don't know how I would absolutely kill it, how, I would, how would I would survive this. Yeah, because you cast your burdens on the Lord. Or maybe you didn't, and God in his grace and his sufficiency said, they don't even know they should be praying this. Here's my grace. Here's my sufficiency. Here's my sustainability. Psalms 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It says that he's the one who's our strength. He's the one who's our refuge and he's present in trouble. I don't know about you, but there's times when, when it is rough, and I'm like, Jesus ain't showed up yet. Like, 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 what, like what's supposed to happen? Like, like, this is the time. Like, if you're waiting for a grand entrance, like, th- this, is, this is your moment to make your grand entrance. Come and fix it. Like, do, one of the things we got to understand, guys, is, man, God's working even when we can't see it. You know? That like that, that there are times when, I mean, it was like, I wonder what Peter would say to this passage. So when they're coming to arrest Jesus and Peter is just reacting, just as he should react, he's like, I love this guy. They're not just going to come and arrest Jesus. So off with your ear, you know, and, 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 and uh, Jesus is like, dude, I, I, I'm working through the trouble. This is all a part of my plan and restores the man's ear back to his head. Isn't that Jesus wasn't present in that trouble? Or that he sees the bigger picture. I, I, you know, one of the things that I've started to uh, not pray for, but be like, just show God gratitude for is when I'm able to see what God was doing after the fact. Anybody ever experienced that? When you're just thinking like, I don't know what God was doing here. I don't know what the plan was. I don't understand what the purpose of this was. And this is hard for me to understand. And if I'm to be honest with God, it's kind of shaking my faith a little bit. It's kind of made me question you a little bit. I've praised God for the opportunities for him to, when he doesn't have to do it, by the way, he, he owes me nothing when, where he's able to say like, hey, you remember this? Remember when you didn't trust me with this? Remember when you were struggling with this? Let me show you a little bit about what the purpose was. Isn't this, don't you think this was kind of the posture that when, when, when Moses was standing on this mountain and he knew he was going to get to go into the promised land and God is like, takes him for a moment. He allows him to see it. He's like, hey, Moses, remember when you were fighting me back when I was talking to you out the bush? Remember when you were doubting me? Like, like you know, uh, you were just having trouble just leading these people? This is the land that I was talking to you about. Just look at it. We occasionally forget that God is always with us. When times are good and, and we're feeling fortunate, we tend to praise God. It's easy to praise God when, when things are going great. But when, when times are bad, it can be a common thought to believe that he's abandoned us in our moments of need. This is not true, though. As the Bible verse uh, mentions, God is very present, even when we are faced with difficulties and will help us get through. 
So that's how we go from north to south. That's our vertical worship. But then we also have the idea of, of horizontal. Jesus knew the times in which the early church would experience and suffering were coming. That's why he prayed this in John 17. Jesus knew what was going to come for, uh, what was going to come for these folks that would be followers of him, that they were going to be persecuted. And Jesus says, like, hey, listen, they don't need, like, ninja angels to protect them. They just need each other. They just need to, you know, like, that, that's who's going to be there for, that's who's going to be there for them is, is one another. The church became the physical manifestation of Jesus's presence with us in times of trouble. See, here's what I want us all to understand, that we talk so much about eternal life and the life that God has blessed us with. Abundant life comes with companions. Like that, that's what it was always meant to be, that the life that you and I would experience in Jesus, it was always meant to come with the companions. If you're to look at all the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, they're not written to individuals. We, yes, we personalize them. We, we read these passages and we apply them to our lives individually, but it always prays out corporately. The way that they would have received the letters in the New Testament would have been if, if let's say, because he's standing up. So if I was Paul, I would be like, I would write my letter to the church in Thessalonica and I would say like, hey, Daryl, get going. And he would head off or he would take boats, whatever he needed to, to get to Thessalonica. And he would get there with Paul's letter and they would all gather into a house and he would read it, start to finish sometimes two or three times this letter. So these people are hearing this in a group of people. So Paul is encouraging them, but it's playing out corporately. I just want you to think about this. If somebody was like, if, if, like, if God's word, if the apostle Paul, the, the God's man that was speaking to them, that encouraged them, that was writing to these churches that he helped start, and it's, and it's being said to you in a corporate manner, read to you in a corporate manner, because we didn't all have iPads or had you know, personal Bibles back then, but said in a corporate manner, how would it then play out? A lot of times we just think about this like, you go and make disciples of all nations. You go and make disciples of all nations as we all have to go do it individually. Why? Because we live in America and that's how everything needs to be. It needs to be individualistic, right? Five people live in a house and all five people are going to drive to the same location. It's not unheard of, right? We all may want something good to eat after church and it's going to be different. Yeah, that's how we live. But, but what, what Jesus saw in the future was this need and the best thing for the church is that they would do things together. He knew that we would go through things and that we would need one another. Abundant life comes with companionship. Hebrews chapter four, uh, verse nine through 12 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who was alone when he falls and has, another, uh, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, like this verse like, hit me um, differently. Um, me and Jen, there was a student at the school that we worked at um, a while ago who was a runner. He was a kid. He was a great actor. But like in one summer, he had to get in a, a great shape for a role. And he um, was running at a, a marathon down at Virginia Beach. And this kid was just pushing himself like so hard and, you know, but running, do what runners do, but had a heart attack, had a heart attack uh, in the middle of his running and falls and collapsed on the ground. Now it's a marathon and there's a people to check on him, but 
and his life was spared, and you know, he was able to recover. He's still recovering to this day. I mean, he's actually about to graduate college. He was, had severe brain damage. But Greg would have lost his life that day had it not been. You know who was running right behind him? A cardiologist. A cardiologist was running right behind him and immediately started performing CPR and was there to work on him. And, and it, like, God fixed him right in his, literally in his path. This is why we don't run alone. No pun intended. Seriously, this is why we, we can't run alone. The passage is saying that like two are better than one. It's better not just for our investment, but it's better for our safety. It's better for our comfort. When one falls, who else can be with against them? You owe it to the people that God has put around you that when you fall down, you got to tell them. Are you in their line of sight? Are you in their fixture that, that, that like, sometimes we don't do this. Sometimes we like, we keep away from people so that we, we go through something. We don't have to tell anybody. One of the hardest things for us to do as as adults, kids have no problem doing this. My kids, they have no problem asking you for something. I'm hungry, thirsty, frustrated, need a screen. I don't know, whatever they would ask you for. Adults, we don't want to ask people for something. We don't want to inconvenience do. The church has to inconvenience one another. It has to, or else it's not the church. I can move by myself pretty quickly. If I have to depend on somebody else, oh, we may go a little bit slower, but we're going to go better. We may, we'll probably go longer. Mr. Leon's been getting on me about this. He's like, Pastor, when you go on these like, trips and when you go and speak at these locations, you got to take somebody with you. I'm like, ah, I don't want to ask somebody to come with me and things. He's like, yeah, but you can, you can split the drive up. You can have somebody else drive. Somebody can go with you. The problem is that we too often get stuck in our minds that we just we don't want to inconvenience anybody. It's your job, not just a part of this church, but a part of the global church. Are you in somebody's path so that if you fall, someone else can can worship horizontally by being there for you? It's necessary. It has to be a part of what the church is. That's what the fellowship looks like. When we have to navigate through life's toughest times, Yes, a connection to the Father. We have to have a connection. We have to have the view of him. We have to be able to see, you know, see him clearly, and we have to depend on him. We, you know, um, I think he, um, he's, he's willing and able to work through our frustration. He, he's willing to hear us when we are our cries and saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing. God is big enough to be able to hear us in those times, even when our cries are, God, I don't get what you're doing down here. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I, I don't get it, but help me. And you know, part of God's answer will play out in the people around you. How many folks are still waiting for their prayer requests to be answered because you haven't decided to be a part of the horizontal church? You haven't, you haven't worshiped horizontally yet. I think that in this passage that in, in, um, um, we see this idea of like, you know, not just The idea of there being good reward for two people working together. But just the sadness it must be for being alone. A lot of people we feel like, especially in our country, we feel like we've made it if we're able to be able to say, I, I stood on my own. I, I was able to make it on my own. Nobody helped me with this. I did this with my own two hands on my own two feet. Yeah, but who do you get to share it with? Can I tell you one of the saddest things I saw? Um, 
So several years ago, the Nationals won a championship. They won the World Series. Me and Anna, we took the boys down to watch the parade. And, you know, you see these big party buses and, you know, of the players and all their families are on there. You see their kids and everybody's having a good time. And then there was one guy on the team who rode in probably the nicest car of the whole parade. It had nobody with him. And as sad as that, I mean, like, cool, you won a championship. You got a ring. Like, if you're going to be lonely, at least have a ring on. That's what most people would think. But, man, what happens when that goes south? What happens when the parade is over? I, I, I think that, like, if, if, there's, if, if we're going to go through the rough parts, you know, that life is sure to bring us, if we're going to go through these moments that knock us down to the floor, I would hope that we would be like Job, and though our friends may not get it right, they may not say the right things, I think we've been called to be there for one another. I think that's what it means to be a church. So here's my question for you. Are you navigating the hard moments without a compass? Yeah, we got to be people that worship vertically. We got to be people that as we think about, you know, what God has done for us and, and his presence in our lives and, you know, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He calls us to cast our burdens on him. He calls us to, you know, to tell him what we have going on. And he promises us um, a help in our lives. He does. But we cannot neglect that one of the ways he intends for that to play out is horizontally. He desires for us to be people that, not, not just to receive the help and the comfort and the presence of the people around us. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means. Like, like you know, I, I want us to be a church that, you know, it, 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 bothers, it bothers us when somebody else is going through something that, you know, as far as the world takes, it has nothing to do with it. It just has nothing. I was listening to just one pastor talk, you know, one Sunday, and he was just like bothered the whole the whole message, just like bothered, just like agitated. He's like, "Can I just be honest? I'm I'm so sorry because I'm gripped because one of our elders lost their grandma this past week, and it it pains me because they're in pain." And I just like, you don't even know this lady. Like like, why does that bother you so much? Well, because he's, he's, he's worshiping horizontally. Like fellowship means more than just a meal. And not that this is the point, but do, you, do we see the bigness of like how this could be our outreach? I mean, isn't one of the biggest differences that we could be than what's, what people could find in the world is people that generally care about what goes on in your lives. And we're not just here like, we got more people in the building. I think that's what it means to be a church. I think, I think people should be allowed to go through things and not have to keep it to themselves. But there be genuine love and care for one another. As the passage says in Acts chapter 2, that we would have all things in common. If you're going through something, I want to go through it with you. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm part of the church. Will you pray with me? You just listened to a message from Dane Carraway, the pastor of Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. 
To learn more about our church and to support what we're doing in the greater Baltimore area, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Church at the Well. May God bless you.